Welcome to the podcast of Destiny Community Church. We are halfway through this series that will lead us into Easter. And we are looking at the life of Christ and following his journey to the cross. Because he said in, in Matthew 10 and 38, he said, And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. I told you that first week that his path to the cross started before he was even born because it began when humanity sinned against God. The wills were in motion at that moment for his path to the cross. We looked at his humble beginnings in Luke chapter 2, and I told you that Jesus was not born into an ideal situation, but he did not let that dictate his future. Jesus knew what he wanted to do with his life at the age of 12, but for the next 18 years, he would have to sit on that calling and let God grow him and mature him. And I told you, don't give up. Don't give up on what you're supposed to do. God will open the right door at the right time. Last week, we fast forwarded in our Bibles from Jesus at 12 years old to Jesus at 30 years old, and he was ready to begin his ministry as a rabbi. And at his baptism, God the Father speaks from heaven his approval over him, and the Holy Spirit descends as a dove above him. And the Bible said that immediately, immediately the Spirit drove him out into the wilderness to be tested by Satan. And I told you that when you hear the confirmation from heaven, be ready to face the confrontation of hell because the enemy doesn't like it. But the wilderness does not prepare you. The wilderness does not prepare you. The wilderness tests you. You see, Jesus was already prepared with the word studying as a boy at the synagogue. He was prepared by the words of his father at his baptism as God spoke over his life. The path of the cross is empowered by the word that God speaks over you because the word that God speaks over you gets in you and the word that's in you will come out of you in the wilderness. Any basketball fans in the room? Anybody like basketball? This is my favorite time of year. I love this time of year, man. We're, we're getting ready for the, for the playoffs. And, and right now, my Celtics, are, they're, they're fighting for that number one spot in the Eastern Conference. It's so good to see them back there. And, 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 and I'm, college basketball, I love college basketball. And you've got these, these amateurs that are playing. And, and I actually like watching this time of year college basketball more than I like the pros, man. I just love this time. But, but how many of you remember the original dream team. Anybody? You remember the original dream team? The, the dream team was the first U.S. Olympic team to include NBA stars. And they won the gold medal at the 1992 Olympics in Barcelona. And they dominated the Olympic competition. If you remember, they beat their eight opponents in the Olympics by an average of 44 points per game beating them by an average of 44 points per game. You cannot speak of the dream team without mentioning three of the game's all-time greats. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, and my personal favorite, Larry Bird. Besides those three legends, you had other all-stars on that team. You had Charles Barkley, David Robinson, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, Scottie Pippen, Chris Mulling, Clyde the Glide Drexler, John Stockton. You know, when you think about that team, the weakest link that they had on that team was a college player. They included one college player on that team, and his name was Christian Leitner. But even he had just won the national championship with, the, with Duke University, and, and he was the NCAA player of the year. 
And so opponents didn't even have a chance. These 12 men were simply the best in the world. This was the dream team. And in the business world, it is encouraged to recruit a dream team. Every great leader knows if you want to be successful, surround yourself with men and women who are sharp and they are capable of leading the organization to the next level. Because a dream team will expedite the road to success because they are good at what they do. If you want a great law firm, recruit the brightest young lawyers. If, if you want a great hospital, hire the best nurses and the best doctors that money can buy. If you want a great church, then you hire the sharpest pastors. Amen. Sorry, sorry we disappoint. Um, <laughs> after, Jesus, after Jesus was declared a rabbi, it was his duty to recruit his dream team. A good rabbi would find himself surrounded by many students from the local synagogue. Remember that these students, they had memorized the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Bible. By the age of 12, they had all five books memorized. Between the ages of 13 and 15, they had studied the history and the prophets of the Old Testament, and they had committed that information to their memory. Those that excelled to the third and final step would now commit themselves to a rabbi and they would become that rabbi's Talmudim or Hebrew for disciple. A disciple didn't just want to know what the rabbi knew. A disciple wanted to be just like his rabbi. And so each rabbi selected, handpicked his disciples and he could pick from the best of the best. Just hang out at the synagogue Find the best students, and those will be your disciples if you choose to pick them. When we lived in Tampa, we had a, a man that came to our church, and his name was Aname. And Aname was a wide receiver for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And uh, I, I remember us playing flag football a few times. And there was this one time that, that we were playing flag football, and uh, by flip of a coin, I became one of the captains. And because I was the first captain or the first one picked, I had first pick in, in the flag football draft for that day, you know. And so I remember standing there and I'm looking and at, at the men and some of these men, you know, they had, they had Dunlap disease <laughs> where their stomach done lapped over their belt, you know. And so, you know, some of them are just armchair quarterbacks that they know everything about football on Sunday, but you get them out there on the field and they, they just have no idea what they're doing. That was our group. And I was probably in that group with them. And, and then standing in the midst of them was Aname. And Aname just looked different. He showed up with a bag. And when he took his shoes out of the bag, they were team-issued Nike cleats that he was wearing. I mean, nice, nice. He even wore one of his practice jerseys out there. And, and I'm standing there, first pick, first pick. Who do you think I picked? I picked the best of the best. Not that the others were best, but he was just the best of that group, you know, and, and, and I knew it. I knew if I have any chance of winning. And here's the thing, it was a great pick because you could just throw, you don't have to be a good quarterback, just throw the ball up. And he was, he was head and shoulders above everybody else. And he could catch anything. And the moves that he put on us that day, oh my Lord, they were amazing. It was a good pick, picking the best of the best of that group. It proved to pay off for me. A rabbi would pick the best of the best students to be his disciples. 
And if a rabbi did not feel like the student had what it would take to be his disciple, he would dismiss that student and they would go home and then they would continue on in the family, family, family business. But if the rabbi believed that the student had what it took to be his rabbi, he would say these three words to him. Come, follow me. And those were the three words that all students of the law longed to hear. They wanted to hear those words, come follow me. That means the rabbi is picking me. I can now follow him and be his disciple. I will be mentored by him. It was a huge honor for the student turned disciple to be chosen by a rabbi because they had worked their whole life for this. And at the moment that they are selected, now they would leave their home, they would leave their village, they would leave their friends and their family behind, and now they would follow their rabbi and they would give up their whole life just to be near the rabbi. One early Jewish, Jewish sage said it like this. He said, cover yourself with the dust of your rabbi's feet. Here's the thought behind that. Cover yourself with the dust of your rabbi's feet. In other words, stay so close to your rabbi. No matter what village he goes to, what town he goes to, what house he goes into, stay so close to him that by the end of the day, you are covered with the dust that his feet has stirred up walking along the dirt roads. So now the time had come. Jesus the rabbi could now handpick his dream team. Luke chapter 6, I'm going to read verse 1. It's not going to feel like it has much to do with anything that I'm teaching today. But I'm going to bring out one little point from verse 1, and then we're going to go down to verse 12. Luke chapter 1, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 6, verse 1. Luke 6, verse 1. On a Sabbath, now Sabbath is a day much like today. On worship day, on a Sabbath, while he was going through the grain fields, his disciples, say that word, say disciples. His disciples plucked and ate some heads of grain, rubbing them in their hands. Now go down to verse 12. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued to pray to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Notice that there is a large crowd of disciples that are following Jesus in verse 1. These are people that are standing in line to be a part of Jesus' inner circle. They want to be a part of the rabbi's inner circle, hoping that he will pick them. And when the time came for Jesus to choose 12 men out of perhaps 100 or more who were following him, Luke tells us that he spent that night in prayer. And this was certainly not a decision to be taken lightly because now he has to make sure that, that the way he interprets Scripture is invested into these men and they will have to carry that on long after he is gone. So, so why did Jesus choose 12? Why not 10? Why not 20? Why 12? You see, 12 seems to be a very significant number throughout the scriptures. It comes to represent the number of God's governmental foundation. 
You see, there were 12 tribes in Israel. There were 12 stones on the high priest's breastplate. There were 12 spies sent into the promised land. In heaven, the Bible tells us that there are 12 gates and there are 12 foundations to the new holy city. And Jesus chose 12 apostles to mentor. He chose 12 men that he would invest his knowledge and his life into. And when we look close at this group that was chosen, we will very quickly realize that they do not appear to be a dream team at all. When you look at these men, they look more like the bad news bears. Far from the dream team, they're just a bunch of misfits. They're not what most rabbis would pick. Jesus had the responsibility to choose 12 men that would be called to alter the course of human history. And these are the 12 that he chooses. When other rabbis are looking for, for those students that excel in the law, they excel in memorization, they, they know the Old Testament inside and out. They know what questions to ask. They know who to answer right questions. And, and so that's what other rabbis were looking for. But Jesus, he didn't recruit the scholars. He didn't look within the religious establishment to build his team. Instead, he assembled a ragtag bunch of men. Jesus was, wasn't looking for religious superiority or extraordinary talent. Jesus was simply looking for ordinary, everyday people. And that should make us feel really good about ourselves. Because I don't know about you, but I, I am not a scholar, okay? I, I am not extraordinary, extraordinarily talented. And for most of us in the room, that should just be a breath of fresh air to realize that Jesus was looking for ordinary, everyday people. Because the disciples, their resumes were very unimpressive. There were two sets of brothers, Peter and Andrew and James and John, and, and we know that they were all fishermen. According to John chapter 21, Thomas and Bartholomew were probably fishermen too. We know that Matthew was a tax collector. Philip's name meant lover of horses, so he was probably, or at least his family, was probably a family of horse breeders. And, and, and thinking about it now, he probably could have been one of the disciples that Jesus sent on his last week on this, on this earth. He sent them in, into Jerusalem to find a donkey and a colt. And I, I don't know about you, but he probably, in my mind, it makes sense that he would send the horse breeder to find that. Judas Iscariot, he seemed pretty sharp probably stood out from among the others. It's possible that he could have been a bookkeeper or accountant since he was the treasurer for the ministry of Jesus. But that, even, even in that, it goes to show you that the brightest is not always the best because he betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 pieces of silver. We're not really sure what James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called the zealot, and, and Judas, the son of James, we're not sure what they did for a living. But one thing that we do know is that they were not qualified to be a disciple of a rabbi. Not qualified to, to fill those shoes and to follow a rabbi and to understand his teachings, his yoke, and, and understand his interpretation of those scriptures. And so can you imagine... When they started following Jesus as his disciples, walking in the dust of their rabbi, staying close to try and hear everything that he has to say, can you imagine how inadequate these men must have felt? Because when they would travel to, to a town, Jesus would often visit the local synagogue, the local place of worship, which was also the school for those that were studying to be disciples or rabbis. And so they would walk into the synagogue with their rabbi 
a bunch of misfit men. And when they walk in, they notice that there are students, young boys in that room that know more about the Old Testament than they do. Do you know how intimidating that is? You ever met a child prodigy? It's very intimidating. I can play the keyboard, but when I walk up to one uh, child prodigy that can play the piano, and I mean really play the piano, it's very intimidating for me, and I don't want to play. I don't want to be anywhere near them. Hey, do you play? No, not at all. Keep going, kid. You're good. (laughs) Can you imagine how inadequate these men must have felt when they would see these students in the local synagogues asking questions and answering questions as, as their, their rabbis and their teachers are, are, are expounding on God's word. Can you imagine what these men were thinking? Jesus, you picked us. Why? And somewhere along the way, when they were young boys, someone told them they were not good enough. And so they dropped out of school. They were not picked to continue on with the education. So they went and worked in the family business. That was their occupations. And there were many times that the disciples were confronted by the scribes and the priests. And I'm sure that that made them feel even less capable of doing what God had called them to do. Maybe that's why Jesus reminded them in John 15 and 16 when he said, you did not choose me, I chose you. He looked at his disciples and said, don't forget this. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I I don't know about you, church, but this has happened to me numerous times. It even happened to me this week when I'm sitting there and I feel very inadequate. I don't feel like I I, I have what it takes to lead this great church. And, And all of a sudden, God drops it in my spirit and he reminds me, you know what, Rocky? You didn't choose me. I chose you. And if I choose you, I will give you the skills and the knowledge that you need at the time that you need them. But you are going to have to learn to depend on me and not yourself. And Jesus tells them, you didn't choose me. I chose you, reminding them that he does not look at degrees. He does not look at credentials, but that he does extraordinary work through ordinary people. And Jesus took this band of ordinary men and worked with them for over three years. And he would mentor them. And then he does the unthinkable. And he puts his church in their hands and tells them to run with it. Can you imagine? You're going to put the greatest religious movement that has ever been, the only one that is truth. And you're going to put it in the hands of fishermen, tax collectors, horse breeders, and others that their job wasn't even important enough to mention it, you're going to put the gospel in their hands. That's what he chooses to do. And there were two unique ways that Jesus mentored. He mentored through messages and miracles. For over three years, he took these men as they were following in the dust of their rabbi, and he taught them through messages and miracles. You see, his messages were different from what other rabbis were sharing. Most rabbis taught that the Old Testament, and they taught the Old Testament through a legalistic mindset. They presented the do's and don'ts of religion. 
If you do this, you're in good standing with God. If you don't do this, you're in good standing with God. But if you break those laws, if you break those rules, then you're in bad standing with law with God and you're going to hell. You know, and so there was just this mindset of the do's and don'ts, very legalistic. Rather than, than using religious rhetoric, Jesus spoke in parables and he would use layman terms to teach kingdom principles. And so he would tell the parables and he would tell the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the, the lost sheep. The, the parable of the good Samaritan or the, the, the parable of the prodigal son. Often Jesus would teach the multitudes with his disciples standing there and he would teach them using this form of communication. And there are dozens of his parables recorded in the gospels, not to mention the other conversations and sermons that he shared with them. He didn't teach the do's and don'ts of religion. He preached the blessings of relationship. He, he, he made sure that they knew this, that it's not what you know, it's who you know. Understand what I'm telling you. It's not what you know, but who you know. Listen, I am a, a big proponent of memorizing scripture. I, 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 sometimes I wish I could go back to the first year of ministry where I really concentrated on memorizing scripture. But man, I believe in it. I do. But some of us, we have a hard time memorizing scripture. I get it. I understand that. It, it, that doesn't give you an excuse not to pour yourself uh, full of God's word. You've got to do that. But God's not interested so much in what you know. He's more interested in who you know. And knowing that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. And knowing that the Holy Spirit is your guide, that he is your direction for life. That's what he's concerned with. And Jesus preached that, 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 that religion was not necessarily what those religious leaders were teaching. And he turned religion upside down with phrases like this. He said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. He said strange things like this that didn't make sense. Love your, enemy, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He, he said things like, forgive and you will be forgiven. He said, when someone hits you on the cheek, offer the other as well. When someone takes your coat, let them have your shirt too. He said things like, the first will be last and the last will be first. And I'm sure people looked at him and said, what are you smoking? What, what does that even mean, Jesus? What is the first will be last and the last will be first? What is this stuff? He said, for even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then he said stuff like this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. Come, follow me. Follow in the footsteps of your rabbi. And these disciples may not have been smart enough to memorize the Torah. But the scripture tells us that they were willing to drop everything and follow him. They were willing to drop their nets and follow him. He also mentored them by miracles. The disciples were there at the wedding in Cana when Jesus turned the water into wine. They witnessed him heal the crippled man at the pool of Bethesda. They watched him heal a leper. They watched him calm the storm when they were afraid. They were there when he healed a demon-possessed man. When he raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. When he fed the 5,000, they were there. And they were there when he raised his friend Lazarus from the grave after he had been dead for four days. 
And these are just a few of the miraculous sights that the Bible records and says that the disciples were actually there to see it. There's many other times the Bible doesn't say specifically, but I'm sure they were there following their, their, their rabbi and, and staying close to him and witnessing some miraculous things. And then in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, it says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see, these disciples... These ordinary men, they saw the miraculous firsthand. They weren't reading it from a, from a book like we are. They weren't hearing it through the grapevine. They were watching Jesus perform miracles firsthand. And he taught them a very valuable lesson on the use of power. And it is something that, that anybody that has any kind of power in your life, I don't care if it's, if it's authority in your home, authority on your job, authority in ministry, whatever it is, you can learn this lesson too. It's a very valuable lesson that he taught them that his miracles were never self-serving. That the great miraculous things that he did, they were never to benefit himself, but always for the benefit of others. He used his gift to make others' lives more valuable. Through messages and miracles, Jesus mentored his disciples to go out of their way to minister to others. All the way to the cross, Jesus exemplified servanthood. Yesterday, as we do one Saturday every year, we hosted the MIP students, the Ministerial Internship Program students over at the Blend. And it's, it's always a very rewarding day for me that, that I get an entire day just to sow into these people that are, are coming up in the ranks of ministry. And I just get to pour some leadership stuff into them and, and some church growth information. It's, just, it's a very rewarding day that I, I praise God that I have the opportunity for. And about 11 o'clock, we will bring them over here. And, and normally our setup team sets up on Sunday mornings. But for this one Saturday a year, our setup team comes and they, they actually set up as the MIP students line up along this wall and they just watch. I tell them, stay out of their way. Don't get in their way. They know what they're doing. Just, just be a fly on the wall and watch this well-oiled machine work. And it's never disappointing. And I see, I see those MIP students stand there in amazement as the worker bees begin. And it just, just, you know, this just doesn't happen. Those uncomfortable chairs you're sitting in, somebody has to put those out, you know. And so then we dismiss for lunch and we return about one o'clock. And I, I have a couple of more sessions with them. One of, some of our staff members get to teach a couple of sessions. But for lunch yesterday, some of them started asking me. I'm standing right down here. Where's the, where's the closest restaurants? We've got to be back by one. Where's the closest restaurants? And I had a choice to make. I can either take them or I can tell them. And I'm going to be very honest with you. I was very selfish because I'd just been locked in a room since 9 o'clock teaching them. And I know I've got to come back later. And some of my staff was here. And so I wanted to go to lunch with the staff, clear my mind for a little while. I didn't want to sit there and talk about ministry. I just wanted to relax for a few minutes before we returned at 1 o'clock. And so I, I told some of them. Here's, here's where the restaurants are at. If you will go down the road right here in front of the school, on the right-hand side, you're going to see Villaggio's. And I'm not getting any, any royalties off any, uh, or any kickback or anything from any of this. So 
There's Villaggio. It's a good pizza place. Not much to look at, but wonderful pizza. There's Villaggio. If you go to the red light and you take a left, down on the left-hand side, you're going to see Backyard Barbecue. Um, just past that's a Mexican restaurant. There's another Mexican restaurant across the street from that. If you go to the light and you take a, a right, uh, the Hitchcock's parking lot, you're going to see a Dairy Queen. There's a Subway in there. There's an Eat at Your Own Risk buffet, um, <laughs> China buffet that's in there. Um, Listen, if I'm not getting paid anything, I can say whatever I want to about a restaurant, right? And here's the reason why I told them, because here's what I knew. I knew this, and it's so selfish, but I knew this. As the last group standing here, and I thought to myself, I could take them to the restaurant, or I can tell them about the, I'll tell them about the restaurant. I tell them how to get there. Because if I take them, it opens up all these other opportunities that I didn't want to do. One, they're either going to have to get in my Jeep or I'm going to have to ride in their car. And I just met them. I don't even know how they drive. <laughs> I don't know how clean their car is. You know, I just washed my Jeep. I don't know. They're, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to ride with them. Then I'm going to feel obligated to have all these conversations about ministry while we're sitting at the table because I'm going to have to eat with them if I ride with them to the restaurant, right? That's rude to sit on the other side of the restaurant. <laughs> And then, I know, I know how God works with me. Then I'm going to feel obligated because God's going to move upon my heart to be benevolent. And I'm going to buy their meal. And I don't want to pay for their meal. I'm just being honest. I didn't want to buy their meal. It's just creating all this inconvenience in my life. So it was better for me to say, here's how you get there. Rather than me take them and show them how to get there. And, and, and here's what happens. Quran, will you help me? Here's what we often do so many times. Quran, listen to me very close, man. I'm going to tell you how to get to the cross, okay? I want you to go straight down this aisle. When you get down there, I want you to take a right. Um, I want you to, to then take a right, come down the center aisle, and just keep looking straight ahead, and, and maybe you'll see the cross, man. Just a few go ahead. You have any food or anything? Nothing? I don't want any coffee. No? no. You don't have food? Any, any bread or fish I can multiply while I'm standing here or anything? I can multiply my Don't look at me, Quran. I told you how to get there, Quran. I told you how to get there. We have gotten such a bad habit of pointing to the cross. Because taking people to the cross is so messy. I'm your rabbi, okay? I want you to stay close. Catch the dust of your rabbi, okay? I know I'm faster than you, so. <laughs> because when you take people to the cross, sometimes you have to stop along the way to minister to people. Sometimes you've got to find a way to, to raise the dead. You've got to heal the blinded eyes because... They're behind you, 
and they're following you and they're watching everything that you're doing. And if you're going to put the gospel in their hands at some point, you've got to show them how to be disciples. And Jesus took these 12 men and he said, walk in my footsteps. There was even a moment when it came time to multiply the bread and the fish. The Bible says he put it in their hands. It multiplied in their hands. Go back and read it. He blessed it. And as they distributed it out, it fed the 5,000. It wasn't just showing them. It's saying, participate with me. One time, there were 72 followers. And he sends them out to do miracles. It's so inconvenient because i got to say things like, Quran, catch up, man. Why? And it's not fun. It's not fun. Discipleship is not fun. It's not fun to the one being discipled. It's not fun to the one doing the discipling. But Jesus didn't point to the cross and say, here's how you get there. He said, follow me. Take up your cross. Follow me. Come, follow me. And he took these 12 men and he led them to the cross. And, and what we have to do, come on, Quran, come on, come on, get up here. What we've got to stop doing, church, is pointing people to the cross, and we've got to start taking people with us to the cross. But it's, thank you, thank you so much. But it's so inconvenient. It's so inconvenient. We don't want to be bothered with that. We like pointing to the cross. We, we, like, we like throwing that post or that tweet out there that says, church was fire this morning. Apparently, last week was that week because everybody was like, this was fire this morning at church. This was fire this morning at church. I don't, I'm not even sure if I know what, know what that means, but, but it was fire last week. <laughs> And I'm not against that. Listen, I, I love the publicity. Keep doing it. It's, it's fantastic. It helps our church and all that kind of stuff. But don't get caught just pointing to the cross. I, I like how, how one of our parishioners did it last week. It was, this was last Sunday, and this, this actually happened. I saw their Facebook post, and it, she was bragging about our church service last Sunday. And, and one of her friends liked it. And so she went and put a comment up on there and said, next Sunday, I'm picking you up. Yes! Yes, exactly. That's it. Don't just point to the cross. Say, I'm coming to get you, and I'm taking you to the cross with me. Amen. And as disciples of Christ, we've got to get to that place to where we are walking in the footsteps of our rabbi because he didn't just stop. He didn't just say, follow me to the cross, and then we're all dead and done. That's not what he said. In Matthew 28 and 19, he says, go and make disciples. I'm heading to the Father, but now I'm putting it in your hands. You go and you make disciples. Just like I made you a disciple, you go and you make disciples. They expect to hear it from me. They expect to hear it from a rabbi, from a preacher from a pastor. But Jesus knew something. Christianity was about to spread like wildfire. 
They were going to conquer the known world. The Roman Empire never stood a chance because Christianity was going to spread. In just a matter of years, it was known all over. How did that happen? It doesn't happen in the hands of a rabbi. Jesus knew if you put the gospel in the hands of ordinary men, it's way more effective. If you have an ordinary fisherman pointing and leading people to the cross, if you have an ordinary tax collector leading people to the cross, If you have an ordinary car salesman leading people to the cross, an ordinary teacher, an ordinary lawyer, nurse, doctor, insert your occupation, whatever it is. If you have an ordinary person proclaiming extraordinary things that they believe in, it leads people to the cross. I know. I was raised in a pastor's home my entire life. I don't know anything different. It's all I know. But I lived in a pastor's home and I didn't believe in Jesus. And it wasn't a pastor, it wasn't an evangelist. It was an ordinary travel trailer salesman that took me under his wing and said, let me show you the path to the cross. He was volunteering, teaching the teens at church. At best, a part-time gig, but he was a full-time travel trailer salesman. I was in 11th grade. My family moved to a new town. My dad was pastoring a new church, and I left all my friends behind. I didn't, I didn't hardly know anyone. And this guy looked at me and said, if you want to come by my office, we'll talk about God's Word. I would leave school. School would get out 2.45, 3 o'clock. And I would go to this travel trailer sales lot, the corner of Sisters Welcome and Highway 90 in Lake City. The building's still there today, but, but it's a different type of business. It was Martin, Martin's Campers. And his office was actually in a travel trailer. And I would show up after school and I'd go in his office and he would stop everything he was doing just to teach me the scriptures. He didn't just point to the cross. He took time. Oh, I was going through 
relationship problems with girls and he would still invite me and he'd listen to me talk about girls and listen to me talk about sports he would take the time to listen to the things that I wanted to talk about just so he could pour into me the things that he knew I needed in my life and a travel trailer salesman led me to the cross you put the gospel in the hands of ordinary men and women and people will believe Jesus stood before thousands and proclaimed his message when he died there were 120 people left that was it 120 people gathered in an upper room to obey what the Christ had said that's all but they were ignited with the fire of the Holy Spirit. And they walked out of that upper room and they set the world on fire for Christ. And you and I know Jesus because of them. Ordinary men that had a passion and believed in the extraordinary power of a loving Savior. We've got a great opportunity before us with Easter. Don't come by yourself. Take this opportunity and get somebody here. If you have to, go pick them up. Kicking and screaming, some of them, they don't know they need the cross. Scripture says the preaching of the cross is foolishness to the unbeliever. They don't know they need it. Force feed them anyway. Get them here. Don't be afraid to take somebody under your wing and say, listen, I want to teach you. I want to show you. I want to mentor you. Thank you for listening to the podcast of DCC. For service times and directions, log on to www.destinycommunitychurch.org. Thanks again for listening.